Welcome to the Crisis Podcast, COVID-19 edition. My name is Travis Atkinson, and I am your host. Join me as we discuss behavioral health crisis services during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Crisis Podcast. This is Travis Atkinson, your host, here with another information-packed episode profiling some of the best people in the world who just so happen to work in behavioral health crisis services. We have a great show for you today. But before we get there, I want to make a couple of announcements. First off, there is a new website that provides resources for people who are experiencing a mental health crisis or emotional distress during COVID-19. And it's called covidmentalhealthsupport.org. I am proud to be part of the coalition that helped to create and design and launch this website. And that group is called the Pandemic Crisis Services Response Coalition. So check it out. It's got a a find a helpline tool with over 600 helplines across the U.S. Did you know there are over 600, some would even say over 700 crisis call centers and helplines in the United States? That's a lot. And there hasn't really been a resource that's put them all in one place like this before. So we are excited to have that up. There's also resources for, uh, there's a a section called Help for Helpers, uh, for frontline uh, responders and and taking care of your own mental health and potential uh, crisis if that were to come up. And there's some other just some other good stuff on the site. So I encourage you to check it out, covidmentalhealthsupport.org. Also, if you are listening for the first time, I want to just give a brief synopsis of what the Crisis Podcast is and what this Crisis Podcast COVID-19 edition is. So this podcast, uh, the, I should say this iteration of the podcast has only been around for a few months, uh, I started the Crisis Podcast back in, I think it was early February 2020, and obviously the world has changed, and so just know that uh, the podcast you're listening to right now is intended to provide timely information about what's going on in uh, mental health or crisis services during COVID-19, um, but that there is another podcast called The Crisis Podcast, uh, which has uh, some interviews up from uh the discussions that I had with guests um, earlier in the year and will be um, up and running and doing interviews again when the time allows itself. So just know uh, I also try to get this podcast out as quick as possible. So the editing isn't quite the same. I don't love to, you know, apologize over myself for, with what I'm doing, but uh, my goal is to get, get these episodes out to you as quickly as possible as some of the information is timely, especially for crisis providers who are looking to um, maybe adapt 
what is discussed on the podcast into their practice or just are looking for up-to-date information. And one other item of note, the audio that I use from these podcasts comes from our Facebook live interviews, which we do at facebook.com forward slash the crisis podcast. So you're going to hear a couple of glitches in the audio in today's episode, and I apologize. Uh, I believe they even out a little bit later on uh, after the first uh, minute or so. You'll hear my audio just cut in and out briefly, but hopefully you'll get the gist of what we're talking about uh, as this is an awesome interview, and I'm excited to share this with you all. Now on to today's episode. So Two of the organizations that I respect the most in all of behavioral health crisis services happen to both be on today's episode. And those two organizations are D.D. Hirsch Mental Health Services in Los Angeles and Crisis Text Line. So D.D. Hirsch has a storied history in crisis services. They operate, they opened, excuse me, the first crisis uh, call center back in the 1950s, and they have been providing mental health services for a long time. They provide some tremendous um, crisis residential services. They have been very active in the Crisis Residential Association. As a matter of fact, they just won an award at the American Association of Suicidology 2020 Virtual Conference for a Crisis Residential Program of the Year. And they opened the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, I believe it's called, in Los Angeles just about a year ago. So tremendous, tremendous leadership happening there from Dee Dee Hirsch. And then there's Crisis Text Line, which I became hip to about a year or two ago. I have a, a couple colleagues that work there now, uh, Jen James and Amelia Leto are two of them. And... I've just been really excited by what I've seen. I've, I've watched uh, a few of Nancy Lublin's talks. Nancy is the, the executive director or CEO of Trice's Text Line. And they're very compelling in their use of data and how they're able to tell a story about their, their texters and, and what problems that they're experiencing. So... They're both tremendous organizations. So uh, I'll have Carolyn Levitan from uh, from Dee Hirsch with me, uh, who I had a chance to meet a few years ago and just is a wonderful person. And I'm so excited that she's in the role that she's in and that she's on the episode today. And Ashley Womble, uh, who is the director of communications for Crisis Text Line. So... I am excited to share this interview with you. We're also going to get to hear a little bit about Ashley's book that she wrote recently. So here is Ashley Womble and Carolyn Levitan. Welcome, everyone, to the Crisis Podcast 19 edition. I am Travis Atkinson, your host, and it is a pleasure to be hanging out with you all again on a uh, Cinco de Mayo version of the Crisis Podcast. I have wonderful guests, Ashley Womble from Crisis Text Line and Carolyn Levitan from Dee Dee Hirsch Mental Health Services in Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, y'all. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. So um, 
I want to start uh, by giving you a chance uh, to speak about what you do and why you do. I'm going to start with Ashley. Um, tell our audience about yourself and about the work you do in the crisis text line and, and why you even work in this industry. Sure. Um, so I have been, I'm the head of communications for crisis text line. I've been there for, um, working on two years now, and I've been in this space for about 10 years. I, um, made a pivot to kind of an early career pivot from magazine publishing where I was an editor at Cosmopolitan to go work at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is not a standard um, transition. Uh, But I was very moved to use my communication and marketing skills for suicide prevention um, after losing my brother to suicide. And about 10 years ago. It's been, I mean, I definitely entered the field kind of with this mission to, you know, help alleviate, hope to alleviate pain that I felt for other people. And now, you know, I certainly feel like I've grown so much as a person and have been rewarded, um, you know, a million times over. So it's really, um, it's, um, I just feel really lucky to be able to work in this field. And I think that especially in times like what we're experiencing right now with COVID-19, when people feel hopeless and maybe helpless to be able to do work in crisis services is, um, is just a huge reward and and definitely keeps me going. So, um, Ashley, what's been the biggest uh, change that you've noticed or the, the, the biggest difference industry-wise between working in, in uh, media or magazines and then coming over and working in this, um, this more of like a bleeding hearts kind of uh, environment? Oh my goodness. Um, what's like even similar, right? <laughs> uh, um, I think that, I think that, Probably I, there are very few similarities, I would say, um, between um, women's public magazine publishing, which doesn't exist in the form that it did when I was there, unfortunately. Um, I think that the, the, what the similarities are that there are really smart and passionate people. Um, and who care a lot about, about others. Right. And if that means writing about, about topics, like I actually wrote a lot of, um, um, health articles, but also like celebrity articles. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's definitely, there are two different worlds, but what unites them, I think is just the, um, is the idea to put something out there that will improve the world in some way, whether it's in a very small way, um, like entertaining you while you're getting your nails done or in a major life-saving way, like we were able to do, um, at crisis text line. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to turn the same question over to Carolyn Levitan at D.D. Hirsch Mental Health Services. Carolyn, what do you do and why do you do it? So I am the crisis line director at the D.D. Hirsch Suicide Prevention Center for our 24-7 crisis hotline. Um, We're a national lifeline center. We're also a disaster stress helpline center. We take about 130,000 calls and chats per year. Um, and why I do this, um, I'm a huge believer in making help available to people when they need it and when they want it. So sometimes we need help at two in the morning and that's not when our therapist is always available. So I love being part of an organization that can provide free and confidential services to someone 
in the moment that they need it. And Carolyn, uh, crisis services are often not for the faint of heart. Um, was your uh, career in mental health going down a track that was more uh, maybe like safer or tamer or more like office based? Or did you always know that this is the direction you wanted to go kind of against the grain or, you know, running into a proverbial fire when other people were running the opposite direction? So my career is just gone its own way. I don't even know if I did any, any of this on purpose, but I am a licensed clinical social worker, so I knew I always wanted to work in psychology, so I'm a licensed therapist. I've always worked in outpatient settings in community mental health um, with children and families, with adults, with pervasive mental illnesses, and it happened to be that the organization that I worked for, Dee Hirsch, also had a crisis line, and I ended up moving over here, and I knew clinical work, and I knew management, but I knew very little about operating a 24-7 setting, um, especially a hotline. So over the past five years, it has been quite the learning curve. Uh, that's awesome. And, and oftentimes, uh, crisis systems can be very, um, understanding of that because they, you have a lot of people, uh, you know, new people coming in and out and things changing dynamically, but maybe never changing more dynamically, uh, than the last uh, two months or so. Um, so Carolyn, I'm going to stick with you on this question. Um, how has, uh, the impact of COVID changed how you're delivering services in your call center? Um, what, you know, what's happening and how is your team adapting to it? So it's literally changed everything. I think, uh, we've had to go remote with all of our services. We never did remote work prior. So we had to move our chat program remote, our follow-up program remote, our call center remote, our volunteer crisis line training completely remote. And this all happened within like a four to six week period. Um, so it's just been a whirlwind to make sure that we're balancing both the safety and the needs of our volunteers and our paid counselors here at the lines, as well as balancing the needs of the people in the community who really need help. Um, already getting some shout outs here. Jennifer Battle uh, says, you know, uh, hello to my crisis center friend, Carolyn. That's awesome. Um, we, the three of us, uh, saw each other at... Um, I think we were in Utah, right? In October. Yes. Um, for the, uh, the, the, for crisis con. And, uh, so I, one question I have for you, uh, if, if I remember correctly, you've, you've taken on a new, uh, like board role position, um, uh, in, I believe it's contact USA. Can you tell us more about that? Because I'm always fascinated. There's, there's never a shortage of things to do, um, in crisis services. And yet, uh, some people, uh, strangely look for more things to do, um, as, as you have done. So tell us about, uh, what's it, what, what it's like being a board member and, and tell us about contact USA. So like, we're not all busy enough, right? We, we want to get involved in extra things. Um, but that's what I love about the, the crisis line community. Um, as soon as I joined this community five years ago, it's different than anything I've been in in the past. And the fact that we're all spread around the country, but we all get it. We all speak the, the talk. We walk the walk. So, you know, we're a Contact USA accredited center. Um, Contact USA is an accrediting board for helplines um, across the United States, and we're actually an international organization. Um, so we provide standards around how to provide helpline services, 
provide guidance to centers. And when an opportunity came up to join their board of directors, I was super excited about it. Um, so not only you know can I help with some of the decision making that we do um, around our organization, I also get the opportunity to go to other centers and be an accreditor. So to support them and accredit them, um, their helplines as well, and support them along the process. So it's kind of coming full circle because I needed a lot of help when I first started because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and now I get to be there to support others and still learn from them as well. So it's, it's really a symbiotic uh, interaction. I've often thought that there's kind of like a, a, a three different parts of a career uh, that involve like learning or, or mentoring type relationships. There's ones where you are, you kind of know nothing and you need someone to take uh, you under their wing and, and teach you. There's, there's peer uh, learning where you kind of make each other better by asking questions and sharing experiences. And then there's the act of being a mentor or being generative and starting to give back and, and, and share what you know. Um, it sounds like you're kind of taking those latter two phases and, and starting to, to, you know, still keep your eyes open of what your peers are doing, but starting to take in uh, what others are doing and, and give, uh, give your wisdom and knowledge and, and share your expertise with your colleagues. Right. And even Jennifer Battle, who's messaging us right now, she did our AAS accreditation at our center within my first year. So I learned a lot from her as well. So it, you know, we just run in the same circles. We get to be friends, supportive colleagues. This is a great community. Yes. Feeling the love. Um, and Jennifer's uh, comment up here, she actually, yeah, she said she did your accreditation. Always so impressed with your work and your leadership at D.D. Hirsch. Amen. I know some more of your colleagues. You guys are dynamite people. Whoop-de-whoop. -whoop. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Ashley, I want to ask you, um, tell us what it's been like with Crisis Text Line, um, and maybe give us a little a little idea of how Crisis Text Line functions. Sure. And because I imagine um, your your um, your system has been impacted a little differently than other typical uh, crisis call centers or crisis services. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And so, um, because this is the first time that Crisis Text Line's been on your podcast, the podcast spin off, um, I even though many people may know about it, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about, about crisis text line. So we are a crisis line that people can text. We only provide text. Um, and we think we do it quite well. Um, what's really important to us is that we use data and, and I'll talk a lot, um, tonight about how we use, how we collect our data, how we use it and how we share it. Um, because I think that that's very much a part of our of our mission. We um, whenever someone texts seven four one seven four one, they're connected with a crisis counselor. Mm -hmm. The first message they get is a um, automatic response that says, "You've reached crisis text line. These are our terms of service. What's your crisis?" Um, I think that's probably pretty common. What people often get whenever they text other lines. What's a little different about crisis text line is that next message that the person types in and it doesn't have to be their whole life story. Just, you know, I'm, um, freaking out about the coronavirus, right. Um, is a common message that we're getting right now. Um, we will, we use actually machine learning to, to triage our text or cue. 
<laughs> as we wait for Ashley, um, we'll we'll do more Jennifer Battle Love because that just seems to be the theme tonight. Uh, yay for CTL. So excited for all of Ashley's skills. There we go. We are back. Uh, and talents to be added. Ashley, you're getting love. I, I know. Think, I think I, the love bandwidth just picked you off. I, I apologize. I'm not sure what's happening. But um, so you had just started to give us your number, and I want to let you continue um, sure. on how to help people understand a crisis text line and the machine and machine learning, I think, is where you left. Yeah, it. sure. So there's three levels of care that we provide to our texters. So the first is that algorithm. We want to make sure that texters get help in the order that they, they need it, right? We think a lot about emergency rooms and how they triage their patients. So when a texter, um, depending on the words that, that come in that first message, we will categorize them as high risk or medium to low risk. One thing that's really interesting is that we found the word, in fact, suicide is not as high risk as some other words like Tylenol or Advil. Yeah. Um, so, and that's something that we, we, we talk about a lot. That's a, a learning that we found based on our data. So that's the first level of care to make sure that textures get support fast. And we do um, respond to about 90% of our textures in under five minutes. And then there's high risk textures in under one minute. So we really are um, prioritizing speed here. The second level of care is a crisis counselor. Um, that message, that which is who, that, so the, all the other messages that the texter gets are going to be from the crisis counselor. I work as a crisis counselor in addition to being um, the head of communications, and most of our staff does. Um, we actually have trained 26,000 crisis counselors in the United States alone um, since we since we launched. So that's a really big community of people who are out there um, logging in to, to help save lives for a few, a few hours a week, um, which does give us the ability to um, reach textures quickly also. Um, and the third level of care is our supervisors. These are really the, I mean, everything, everyone who works at Crisis Text Line or in the space is a hero, but these are really our, our people with the, the superpowers to help the crisis counselors make um, make sure that each texter gets the, the level, you know, the high level of care that we're um we're concerned with, with providing. And then whenever we do need to do an active rescue, we will, the crisis counselor will work with the supervisor. So those are the three levels of care. Of course, for the texter, everything they see is just like a conversation that they've been, ha that you know, very similar to a text they would have with a friend or, or maybe their mom. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things that um, I think that it's important for people to understand about crisis text line. I mentioned there were 26,000 crisis counselors we clearly don't have an office for 26,000 people. Um, it, it would, um, so we have always been primarily remote. And so we are, for a lot of people, um, this has really, been a really difficult time to get on board, um, to move off, um, move online or just work entirely remotely really quickly. Their new normal has kind of always been our normal. There are about 40 of us who typically do go into the office in New York City to do other type of work, um, but all of our crisis counseling has always been provided remotely. So what's different 
for us over the past two months has been the volume. We've seen about a 40% increase in volume over this sustained two-month period. We were at one point at about 116% higher, but the, this longer two-month sustained period has been about 40%. And that's the longest period we've ever had of sustained volume. Um, in, of a long, Sorry, the longest period of, um, of higher volume. We've spiked many times in the past, but this is um, you know, much, much bigger than that. Okay. Um, so I'm curious to hear, so, uh, a couple, gosh, I, maybe just a couple weeks ago or less than a month. Um, I got onto the, um, like the, the weekly update newsletter from crisis text line and y'all are replete with data. And what blows my mind is you don't just take last week's data and say, here's a couple new pieces you give a completely new data set every week. It's like six points to say, like, here's how the country is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that, that's amazing. How have, uh, how do you, how do you take, um, data, this data and your role in your job, uh, to help crisis text line to, uh, better meet the needs of the people who are, are using your service, um, or to just make the world a better place. And maybe those are two of the same thing. Um, well, I think that they're not two in the same thing. I think that we, we definitely use data to make our service smarter and faster. Um, one of the ways that I think that I've just, I've done that is by with, with my team and, and with our, the entire team at crisis text line is looking at, um, so for example, we, 75% of our texters are, on average, not during COVID, but just on average are under the age of 25. And we found, in fact, that while that number, that percentage is staying the same, our texters under 13 and under are actually getting, we're we're getting more of them, right? So we know that we need to focus more on um, middle schools, um, really focus on middle schools, not just high schools and colleges, because people are in really serious pain. Um, and they, they want to reach out for help whenever, you know, as young as eight. Right. So that's one, one example of how, um, I use our data just in our, on our marketing communications. I think a way that we are using it to try to make the world better is through our, um, we did a, we put out a report, in February, which feels like so, so long ago <laughs> now. Um, but it was, it's called Everybody Hurts, the State of Mental Health in America. And that's a state by state comparison of the top topics that people um, text us about. You can um, read all about this beautiful, read this beautiful report or see um, some of those data visualizations on our website. Um, which is crisis text line recording live right now crisis text line.com forward slash states um we thought that was so i'm as jennifer battle one of our listeners and watchers pointed out i am from texas and i um definitely want to know like how does texas compare to california how does california compare to new york right um are the people there concerned about the same issues and we found that in fact they're they're not always um so that's um one way we are so we wanted to get that story out to journalists and also policymakers um on the federal level even though policymakers are concerned with making federal 
legislation, they also care deeply about the states they represent. And so we felt like this would be a really unique way to let them know about Crisis Texan and the issues that people are feeling. We like to bust myths is an, another thing that we do. And right now, what I'm um, telling reporters every day is that right now, what we're seeing is a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression and sadness. Um, we actually added the PHQ scale. I think I'm um, saying that correctly. To yes, the uh, yeah, right. The um, PHQ two probably the two question one. That's that's right. Yeah, no, not the yep. two question one actually. Oh, the nine. It's the the nine question. Okay. Yeah, PHQ nine. Yeah, it's a little late for me, guys. I am not get up that's around okay. five. So um, <laughs> if I I will try to fact check myself while we're while we're going here. <laughs> um, I. We we found that you know anxiety has been the biggest thing that we've been we've seen from our texters from the beginning, um, but now depression and, and and sadness are really increasing, and those are partly um, because of the quarantine. So the quarantines are keeping people safe physically, but maybe not um, mentally healthy, and so that's you know that's something we've seen. What we have not seen is an increase in suicidal um, ideation. In fact, we're several points below what we typically see. Okay. And that leads me into a question I wanted to ask Carolyn, which is there are widely varying reports on the utilization of crisis services right now, um, especially crisis call centers. Um, the, we know that the disaster distress helpline has a um, an incre- uh, 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 a surge, um, which I guess makes sense because we weren't in a disaster three months a year ago, um, but that's maybe uh, uh, an increase. A lifeline. Um, we're hearing some set dependent look in the country that are experiencing considerably. Some are not. Some are decrease. Been like a DD uh, over the last month and those two. So some of, you know, some of the data that we're seeing is very similar. We're seeing a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, we're not seeing a huge uptick in suicide related calls per se. Um, we are experiencing an increase in calls, uh, especially on the disaster stress helpline, because we're one of three uh, core centers um, for the disaster stress helpline. However, our data has been a little bit skewed because we were just finally able to move remote last week with our calls. So we as a okay. center were actually dealing with uh, potential COVID exposure on site as well. So there were periods of time over the last six weeks where I had to quarantine large proportions of my staff. Um, and they were unable to take calls. So a, a small proportion of us were really stepping up to take a bunch of calls. So we've actually kept our volume up the same, um, but it should be really telling this upcoming month what we're seeing. But we are seeing a huge uptick in COVID-related calls every month. Um, the main concerns we're seeing are stress and anxiety, people having health concerns, people having relationship concerns, which I think a lot of us are forgetting. When people are stuck home alone, all together with financial issues, job issues, it can be the perfect storm. So we're seeing, you know, increased, you know, instances of domestic violence, abuse. So that's something for us to really keep in the forefront of our mind as well. Um, and we're also seeing mm-hmm. concerns around suicide. I think of a, um, uh, a, a when the entire world was impacted by the same thing. Uh, in, 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 and to ask being impacted by, by, by COVID 
and their families are uh, in in various ways, whether it's it's tracking. Um, is it hard for staff to be helpful in this space? Um, you know, like a, a, an analogy I would make is like there were some terrible uh, if tornadoes that went Nashville a few months ago. Um, if a tornado takes out a whole roses, um, is it fair to go to the guy whose house was um, destroyed but happens to be a carpenter and say, hey, can you help me uh, build my house? When he's like, hey, man, my house isn't, isn't up either. Um, what, what, um, how are your crisis workers who are in the throes of handling it? And um, uh, I don't like, yeah, just what are you seeing uh, in their ability to be resilient and still be helpful? a really good analogy. Uh, I think it really rings true. So we've never seen uh, something that has impacted the entire country along with all of our counselors. No one is not impacted in some way. So it can be sometimes like an anxiety feedback loop. Um, you're experiencing some of the same stresses and anxieties that the caller is around COVID, and you're listening to those types of calls all day. Um, a lot of our counselors need more support, need more guidance. Um, we're doing a lot of different ways of, of creating remote communities. Uh, so creating kind of a remote crisis line, so to speak, where people can drop in and see one another's faces, you know, remote happy hours where yes, talk about how we're feeling. They're, they don't have alcohol. They're just for happy feelings. But, <laughs> they, you know, just so that we can connect because we're, we are an onsite center. So we're so used to being able to see one another. And yeah. Each other like a high five if we have a really good call, um, and just to socialize. And, and we forgot how impactful that is to be around others. And so right now, you know, my my staff are working remotely. We recently started this with our call program. We were doing it for our chat program, and we're having to really reach out to our staff. We want to make sure that they still feel supported because they're isolated at home most of. The of the time talking with people that may be having anxiety about also being isolated at home. And a lot of our counselors, we have a few counselors that have tested positive for COVID themselves. They have family members that have tested positive for COVID. So it's very close to home. You know, their, their family have lost their job. They're talking to callers who have lost their jobs. It's just amazing to see the commitment of our staff and our volunteers, because one thing I've seen is people going, how can I help? Can I take on more shifts? Can I do more? So, you know, this is a community we're a part of. And, and not that this is surprising to any of us that we work with the best people ever. It's amazing. It, uh, that I mean, it blows my mind that people just, it almost seems like they're drawing from a, an endless well of generosity and helpfulness. Uh, that that and, and it doesn't even always take adversity to show these things in people, but some people are just like, eternally giving and and wanting to be helpful and that's it's just a tremendous thing what i think i'm hearing you say is that as an employer you're starting to have to maybe fulfill additional needs in your staff that you might not have been expected to before namely like the social component and being like you want to promote your staff's mental health um uh, and 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 encourage or encourage them to do so but if they're if the scope of their social interaction is work, then you might have to create space for them to engage or encourage them to do that. Um, have a, you know, have a separate window of your platform open where people can, can communicate and see each other face to face, uh, those types of things. Um, because 
we we also know like that even those little social interactions that normalize or help you to laugh or help you to feel validated, like those are critically important in your ability to then help other people uh, when you're on the phones or when you're on, on chat. Definitely. I mean, I'm still coming into the office. I'm in the office right now. And I'm so grateful that I get to see my staff and my colleagues every day. The humans. They're the extent of my social interaction right now. <laughs> if I didn't have them, I don't know what I would do. I mean, everyone else I'm just seeing through a video call. So these are the people that, you know, I get to see them six feet away and we're all wearing masks, but we still, you know, get to laugh, like you said, and connect and feel connected. I think when we're working so hard, we want to know that we're part of a larger effort, that we're, we're all in this together. And so I think trying to exude that in a way amongst each other, as well as through, you know, online means with our remote staff is really important. Yes. Um, and I wanted to uh, take, a, I didn't want to um, uh, ignore this. I apologize. A, a minute ago when Ashley was talking, um, my kids wanted me to kill a bug in their room. Um, and I don't think they know about live things and that, um, a lot of life can be paused. Um, but this, this cannot. So there's probably a medium sized black ant, um, in my daughter's room that I will be taking care of. Hopefully it doesn't have babies, uh, in the interim here. Um, so Carolyn, I'm curious about, um, how you and your like colleagues at your level at, at, at supervisor, manager, director level um, are taking care of yourselves. And if the ability to um, the ability to uh, prioritize your own mental health or your wellness, or your sleep or whatever it is, if that's been amped up um, in the last couple weeks, are you slowing down when you're not at work? You know, are you saying like, yes, I could binge watch Netflix, but I'm going to, um, you know, go to bed and it's whatever answer you have is okay. But, um, I'm just curious, uh, if you've kind of, uh, how it's impacted your, uh, how you prioritize your own wellness and your ability to deliver at work. Right. Cause I mean, as a director, we want to lead by example. So, you know, I want to show that I have good balance between, my work in life, which hasn't always been the case lately. Uh, for example, like last Wednesday, I was up all night. We were dealing with some tech issues starting at one in the morning. I was on a conference call at 3.30 in the morning. Um, you know, just, we all have to go the extra mile right now. Um, we have to put, sometimes have to put the program's needs before our own. Um, but I am lucky that I have two cats at home. So they're my little buddies. Um, and, you know, I think just being able to relax at home, watch some TV, like you said, uh, play some games on my iPhone um, and just kind of go to bed early is sometimes really important too. It just sounds like such a dream. <laughs> um, I, I think that one thing we're experiencing price text line. So why, I mean, I, I, everyone's dealing with their, with their own things. And, and uh, I think what we're, we're trying to do in my home is, is talk a lot about silver linings. So a um, little, it's not exactly gratitude. I mean, we, we certainly are grateful for so many things, but really thinking about the silver linings has been helping us. Um, I would say a crisis text line, you know, one thing about our model that's unique is that 
we do have um, our crisis counselors are really only on for a, a four, you know, four to 10 hours a week. Some do a little bit more, but um, we, we, that's, you know, what we really ask of them. Our supervisors, of course, are on um, for, for quite a bit longer. And so we are working, um, we've rolled out a number of different activities. One is a daily meditation at noon, which a lot of people participate in and really, um, really enjoy that. We're having what we call quarantinis, which is a version of the happy hour, um, where we're just happy, um, and drinking tea or whatever we, we want to drink. Um, and this is really something that helps a lot for our people who are living alone and, and, um, and are feeling very isolated, right. And, um, who people who, um, really want to connect with someone and not talk about work, but maybe the only people you can really connect to are coworkers. And then we're doing like a staff movie night, which is really, really cool. I of course won't be joining that because, um, I'm here, um, with my family and no childcare. So it's a lot of just balancing the, um, you know, playing and working, which is, you know, there's a lot of really, it's hard, but there's a lot of really great, um, things about that. You know, I think, um, this is probably going to go long longer than like my maternity leave did. And, and so that's really special to have that much time, um, at home with your kids or, or in my case, just kid. Um, but it is means early mornings and, and late nights to try to get the heads down work done. Um, I think that we're finding out that people's personal lives are now just a big part of their work, you know? Um, so I have so many meetings during the day while I'm watching, um, while my daughter is sitting beside me watching Daniel Tiger and, um, I'm really waiting for the, um, the AAP to roll back the screen time recommendations. Cause right now we're getting way more than what we are supposed to be getting. Um, and she just, you know, says hello to everyone and goodbye to everyone. And, um, and you know, we, we, uh, one of my, um, someone on my team's mother said hello to me today, <laughs> you know, the lines are really blurred right now. And I don't think that that's so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're all a little bit more human, uh, mm-hmm. and, and vulnerable and, um, and it, and it's, it's cool. It, we got to get to let our guard down a little bit and just be, you know, be ourselves. Just, I, I think I heard a nursing professor describe humans once as just like big, dirty bags of water, you know, and like, we could just get to be that. We just get to be mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is who we are. This, this is what we can control right now. And this is what we can't. Um, also big shout out to Daniel Tiger. Um, I find him to be a tremendous little, little furry animal and uh love learning from him still have uh songs from my kids uh that i remember about those things uh so i uh, i think those are permanently burned into my brain yeah yeah yeah. they're catchy you know the 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 or the um you know the kin or the the blood of fred rogers still runs pretty deep in those uh those catchy pbs songs so i can definitely relate to that um all right uh Ashley, I want to turn the conversation a little bit. Um, I was doing a little bit of research. Well, hold on. Before we do that, I got to get, I got to 
uh, send a shout out from Jennifer Battle. She says she loves volunteering with Crisis Text Line. Great training and fabulous supervisors. Again, people work in the crisis field. You could just go to work and have enough to do. Jennifer Battle, Harris Center in Houston, Texas, she's volunteering on the Crisis Text Line. Like, just yeah. amazing. And she loves it. So, good. And she's on our advisory board. She's also on our advisory board. Is she really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, darn. Wow. We had we had Jennifer on a few weeks ago and uh and yeah. she was great. She was as good as advertised. Okay. So Ashley, I was doing my homework and um uh I found out that you wrote a book recently. Um mm-hmm. the book is called Everything is Going to Be Okay: A Real Talk Guide to Living Well with Mental Illness. That's right. What moved you to write a book and tell us about what the book is about? Um so the book is what moved me to write a book. I mean, I just I mean, the first part of my career, as I shared, was um, a writer, as working as a magazine editor and writer. And so I definitely always wanted to write a book. This particular book I wanted to write because whenever I was struggling, um, my brother, who I mentioned, has been a big inspiration for me doing this work, had um, schizophrenia. And this, I didn't know anything about schizophrenia. Um, I certainly didn't even know he had schizophrenia. I just knew something was going on. And um, I, being a writer and a bookworm, started looking for answers in books, and I couldn't um, not only, I mean, there, there are definitely some books out, great books out there on schizophrenia, and I, I, I don't want to disparage them, but I didn't feel like the book spoke to me um, as I believe I was in my late 20s at the time, and, um, and my brother was teen, and I felt that the books were really either written for um, people for parents or for, um, for people in the field. And I wanted a book that had that real talk in there. I also, in my experience, um, just of my life, I, in learning about mental health, it it became very obvious that I also had depression and anxiety, which I think I've had for my life. I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my late twenties, um, kind of on this journey. And I was able to get treatment, um, a combination of therapy and medication, which was life-changing for me. And unfortunately my brother did not get that, um, treatment and it was life-changing for him in a very negative way. So I felt like I wanted, I, I mean, based on my, um, own life experience, professional experience working at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, a couple of other organizations, Fountain House, which is a great organization for people who are experiencing schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And um, now Christ, I wrote the book before I came to Crisis Text Line, but I had known Nancy and had um, been a big fan of the, of the work. Um, and then also, um, I have a master's in public health, which I got because I realized I might need to have more than a BA in journalism to work in this field, um, which I'm certainly grateful that I had the opportunity to do. So I, um, wanted to, I basically had proof of concept that if you are struggling with a mental illness and my book covers the 10 most common mental illnesses for people who are in their twenties and thirties, um, that if you, if you find treatment that you're, you can live a great life, but you don't have to have, you shouldn't have to have at LMSW in order to, um, to find a therapist. Right. And so the book really just kind of translate the field, translates the field of mental health. It goes over insurance, some of the boring stuff that you don't 
really ever think about until you need it. Um, because I felt like it was important for people, if they're in many people who are struggling with a mental, um, mental illness, this is going to be the first time that they come in contact with the healthcare system. Right. Um, so I wanted to make sure it was sort of a close, Clarissa explains it all type of book. <laughs> well, if anyone gets that. Uh, you just brought me back to, I think it was SNCC, Saturday night, Nickelodeon, yeah. um, in yeah. the nineties. That's I should have called it that. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Are you afraid of the dark, Ren and Stimpy? Yeah, there's yeah, there there could be new books that you write that each one is kind of a a snick um oh, yeah. parallel. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Would, it would probably sell better, but I definitely wanted um so because I really do believe everything is going to be okay. And I believe that more firmly now than ever before. I think in this crisis that we're in, those of us in the field know that this crisis is going, this mental health crisis is going to outlast the quarantines and probably the financial um, recession that that we're that we're in, and could even be deeper. the The mental health impacts will be long lasting, but it really is going to be okay. I think that there there are people who are um, ready to help people who are like Jennifer Battle, who are creating um, statewide lines, and then running, um, working, you know, on advisory boards and other boards and then tuning in, um, to, to this. And, uh, you know, as, as you're saying, Carolyn, people at your, at Didi Hirsch who are just really stepping up and wanting to take more shifts. Like there are way more people who want to help than there are people who are, um, are struggling. We're really all in this together. Yeah. And I think that's the side of, of the world that you want to be on in times of like crisis and challenges, like find other like-minded people who are, are giving of themselves and want to make the world a better place, bring, uh, bring order to chaos. Um, one, one thing I want to ask on a personal level. So actually I'm a musician and so mm -hmm. I'm a, a songwriter and you know, when I put a song out, yeah. So if I put a song out, put an album out, it's like you're bearing your soul with the world, you know, and you just kind of throw it up in the air and you, you watch, is it going to like, is it going to do that Forrest Gump, uh, you know, feather, uh, sequence where it just kind of like goes and it's going to be held up by the, by pe people, or is it just going to drop to the ground, like a ton of bricks? Um, what was the most, um, what's been some of the most encouraging experience or, or feedback you've had from people who have read your book? Um, and how is that, maybe uh, created community or connection between you and other people that have gone through similar situations? Um, that's such a great question and, and a really nice one. Um, I think, so I, I had, I've worked with, um, with uh, Jennifer Marshall of This Is My Brave, um, who does a really fantastic program for, for teens and, and for, for college students, they put on performance. I really yes. recommend checking it out. It's very inspiring. I did, um, a, an event with them at Harvard. Um, there was these great performers from different schools in, in Massachusetts. And so I went up for, um, for the event and there was, um, and I think she had purchased my book for, for everyone in the, in the production. And, there was, I, I met a young woman who just, I introduced myself. She's like, Oh, and just like your book, you know, and just was, was exactly what I needed to read, um, at the time that it was given to me, you know? And so, um, that is, 
that's the whole point, right? If, if it can help one person, I mean, it's a little cliche, but that really is true. You know, I think when you put something out in the world that you hope will help someone, if it helps someone, then you've succeeded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. I am, uh, I'm getting, I'm becoming an expert gear switcher. So, uh, Carolyn, <laughs> I want to turn this conversation back over to you and ask more of a systems question because I know that, um, Dee Hirsch operates a number of crisis services. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, Elon Javenfard, uh, oversees the, um, uh, crisis residential programs. And I believe some of the substance abuse residential programs as well. Um, what have you noticed any issues with within your call center? Like if you are going to refer someone to, you know, an outpatient therapy clinic or some other resource in your community, are you finding instances where the system uh, uh, capacity that used to be is not there right now? And how and, and if you had to do anything to adapt so that you can achieve uh, a goal, if this is, in fact, your goal of, you know, helping a person to resolve their crisis or feel validated or, or, or de-escalate them from their emotional distress, uh, talk, talk to me about any, any adaptations that your system has had to make in the wake of maybe things not running how they normally do and the resources that you rely on in part of a safety net not quite functioning at 100%. That's a really good point. Um, you know, we are continually trying to vet the resources that we do have to make sure that they're still up and running um, because we don't want to give someone therapy resources and then they call and the organization isn't even open. So I can plug your website, um, which has a, a bunch of wonderful, you know, resources. I don't know if you've talked about it. Um, I have not yet. No. Okay, well. I, I, I was wondering if you set me up for this. To- <laughs> no, that's not my jam. That's not how I roll. Right, but. You know, it's great that you saw a need and other people have seen needs, including SAMHSA, the Disaster Stress Helpline, sending us a lot of updated new resources because while some existing resources aren't functioning at full capacity now, a lot of new resources have also popped up. Um, you know, new helplines, new, you know, supportive services, uh, crisis, you know, therapy or short-term therapy, uh, telemedicine, a lot of options are open. Um, that are different than what we used to have. So I think it's just about being flexible. Um, and, you know, sometimes we're letting the caller know, we're figuring this out with you. Let's, you know, let me look online. Let's see what I can find for you. Um, and I've never noticed a time that this is kind of unrelated, but I have so many callers. We have so many callers asking us, how are we doing? Hmm. Wow. I've seen a time where the caller really puts it back on us, right? I, I, yeah. I often take calls where, like, Ashley takes texts at her organization. You know, I had a caller say, you know, how are you doing? You know, I, I really think we're going to be okay. The caller actually told me that. Uh, you know, so we're really bonding with the caller as well and kind of navigating these unknown times together. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, one, one reflection I've had um, – uh, is that you you never want to go through a pandemic. I think we can all agree on that, especially as, as we're punching our card here each month. Um, but there are a lot worse times that could, this could have happened. Um, the 70s, the 80s, the early 90s. Like if right now your call, your, 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 um, your, your crisis uh, um, staff can do 
like a, a search in real time and find what the solution is, right? Or they can find what the workaround is and be helpful. Um, if you are like going through some kind of like manual of like, okay, here's our resources that we printed out last year. Oh, I don't know. That one doesn't work. Sorry. I don't have the internet that hasn't been invented yet. You know, Al Gore didn't come yet. Um, then like we can still be helpful um, right now and, and adapt. And that's really beautiful. Um, and I love kind of the equalizing that you just talked about, that there's mutual concern. Um, and uh, I, don't, I always come back to Patch Adams for some reason. Uh, Patch Ad, like I just loved that movie. And it he created this paradigm where, like, even if you um, have a broken arm or you're depressed or something, like, there's still a way you can help. And I think that's kind of what we're finding is like, we don't have, like, uh, my wife's got this book that sits on her nightstand. It's called present, not perfect. And it's like, we can be here and helpful, even though we're working through our own stuff or, you know, we're, we're in recovery or whatever it is. Um, I just, I, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, that insight. That's really good. Um, that's great. That's a good point too, Travis, about, um, the, this is the technology is really getting us through. It's enabling us to continue to provide services and to provide support. Always been a big fan of, um, of teletherapy and e-therapy. And I'm so happy to see more people embracing it right now. Um, and I'm not talking about crisis services in particular, but really just talking to your therapist over a video, um, saves you a lot of time and it and really creates more um, opportunities for access for people. There was a pandemic about a hundred years ago, um, yes. the Spanish flu, and you don't hear people saying, Oh, do you remember when we all came together? Or, um, you know, I think that we are going to find that going back to the silver linings, um, conversation that there, there are going to be some great things. I think there's even going to be some great things within the mental health care system that come out of this, um, that will improve the way that we all, um, we all get care, um, and provide care. So I'm really optimistic. I, I mean, I definitely, even like as a New Yorker, I'm like not super, I'm not even at my home right now. Like things are pretty bad, um, there, but overall, like, 10,000 feet back. I think that this is, we are going to really be okay. As yeah. we said. <laughs> uh, okay. So here's the, the last segment of the podcast I want to do uh, is um, I'd like to hear uh, a recommendation from you either about, uh, and, and this is, this is fairly open-ended. This is fairly like your, like wherever you want to take this. Um, so there's, I'll give you two, two directions you could go. One is, uh, whenever I'm leading a training, I like to end by giving people a list of um, something to listen to, something to watch, something to read. Uh, so if there is a podcast or a book or a movie or a, a, a series of YouTube videos that you highly re recommend right now, either for people to get through COVID or just to laugh their ass off, like whatever, that's great. Um, or if you want to tell us, tell me and, and our audience something about your organization that you haven't been able to touch on yet. I want to give you a chance to do that too. So, um, Carolyn, I'm going to start with you, um, either a something to listen to, something to watch, something to read, or something about D.D. Hirsch that would be helpful for our group to know. I'll do a little combination of both. So some serious awesome. and some fun stuff. Um, so we were actually the first crisis line in the United States. So that's... 
the first crisis center. We actually started in the late 1950s. So that's exciting. We've been around for a really long time. And I agree with Ashley that thank God this is happening now where we have the technology and the resources to really support people in the community. And I'm also a huge proponent of cat slash baby goat slash ferret videos on TikTok. So you can watch mashups of those on YouTube and they warm my heart. So awesome. That is good to you. They, I, I needed it. That's what I needed. I, you know, good people have good taste as well. Oh, that's perfect. I got those written down. All right, Ashley, over to you. What have you got? Well, um, Crisis Text Line has a podcast that we launched about exactly 10 weeks ago, just right in time um, for this. And it's called, um, could be better, TBH, which, of course, was pre-COVID. But um, the idea here is that yeah, it could be better, but let's talk about it. Um, we have Stacy London, uh, who is a, we worked with the Jed Foundation on this project. And Stacy London is a board member at the Jed Foundation and was kind enough to be the host for this podcast. Um, there's a lot of great episodes, some celebrities, some um, celebrities of suicide prevention. Uh, the episode that launched this week, our final episode for season one was with, um, with Dr. Jerry Reed. And I think a lot of listeners to this show would be interested in listening. So you can find it anywhere you find this podcast, I believe. Um, it's called Could Be Better TBH. <laughs> love it. I love, you know, because our industry, we're, we're very acronym savvy. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're quick on that stuff, but I'm getting old enough that I like the challenge. I'm like, oh gosh, there's a, there's three letters in there. I don't normally like, oh, see don't together. How, means? No, I do. I mean, okay. yeah. to be honest. Yes. Yeah. Right. Is that true? Right. I was just telling my wife today about the, um, there was a joke on modern family where, um, the dad was talking about all of the acronyms and he's like, I get it. I get it. You know, WTF, why the face? Um, so that's, that's where I'm at. Like that's in my world. That's, that's how I'm rolling these days. But I mean, um, hey, Mary just is, you know, anytime you're doing work yes. with younger people, you just have to kind of keep that one browser open to that. <laughs> that's Especially a good idea looking at data and text messages and to see what people are texting yeah we find, well, I, find the, I learned so much that's probably standard practice then for crisis text line you have yeah. to know all the all the lingo and how as fast as things are moving so right. that's awesome um carolyn ashley it's been a pleasure thank you for being on the show today um listen uh, make sure and go back and listen to any of the podcasts we've done here in the last few weeks um, and subscribe and give a, a thumbs up on the Facebook page if this is your first time listening. Um, but doing awesome work. It's great to get to know you today and um, hope the best for you in the coming weeks. Great. Thank you so much. And hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Take care, y'all. Thank you to my guests, Carolyn Levitan and Ashley Womble. To hear all of the Crisis Podcast COVID-19 episodes, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, or become a fan of the Crisis Podcast on our Facebook page. 